G'day, g'day everyone. Uh, welcome to our live session. I'm your host, Stefan Angelini. Um, we're representing today the ASX Stock Tips Facebook group, but also the Investor Types podcast. Um, I'm your host, Stefan Angelini from Angel Advisory. We're talking about ETFs or exchange traded funds, so investing into markets or specific markets. Um, ETFs have been so popular over the last few years and um, it'd be really good to get some good insights with BetaShares, who are one of Australia's largest ETF providers. All right, g'day, welcome back, everybody. Um, so we're here talking about ETFs with BetaShares. I'm joined by Blair Modica, um, director of BetaShares in Ilan Israelstam. I hope I pronounced that properly. One of the founders at BetaShares. Um, g'day, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you being on. Ilan, um, you're joining us from Sydney. You're from Melbourne, like myself. Unfortunately, still in lockdown. We'll be right. Indeed, stuck in lockdown, Stefan. But uh, hopefully, we get we get through this soon. Alan, how's the feeling over there in um, in Sydney? Mate, we're um, we're so lucky. We feel so fortunate, and and on the other hand, so disappointed that things have dragged on for so long for you guys down south. Um, yeah, we're over here in Sydney in the CBD, it's probably about sixty percent in terms of capacity. So by no means is it back to hundred percent, but um, relatively speaking, compared to you guys. It's obviously massively different. So yeah, not too bad at all over here. Hugely different. And um, and when it comes to markets, even though there's lockdowns going down around the world, um, seems like a lot of markets around the world keep going from strength to strength, including ETFs and index funds. Um, and I think ETFs really, um, really came to light probably I don't know ten, maybe twelve years ago now when um Warren Buffett back in two thousand and eight he took out a what, a one million dollar wager. Um, against a few in, uh, against a few hedge fund managers and basically said that I bet you that if I invested a million dollars into the S&P 500 um, that I would beat your returns after fees and turns out 10 years later he actually won that bet um, do you guys Elan when did you start beta shares or I might hand it over to Blair to sort of talk about beta shares and and how that sort of commentary fits into what you guys do yeah, absolutely. Look, thanks, Stefan. And and certainly, I mean, the BetaShares story is um is one that's been very exciting. I mean, we're Australia's only founded and managed ETF provider. And I think uh, that's important for a couple of reasons. And, and Alain might sort of touch on this a bit more broadly. But first of all, I guess being Australian founded, all our funds are Australian domiciled. So no need for paperwork or anything like that uh, when you're investing. No pesky WA Ben forms. Um, and, and the second thing is because our, uh, our portfolio management team's based in Sydney, we're not taking product off the shelves from overseas uh, investments. We're, we're creating it in Australia with the Australian, I guess, practitioner and end investor in mind. So you can rest assured that, that everything is, is designed for an Australian investor. Um, with that in mind, I guess it's my pleasure to introduce one of the founders of our business, Alain Israel-Stam. Uh, he, he's going to talk a little bit more about I guess what ETFs are, a little bit about the BetaShares business, where it came from, and then and then talk to some ideas that we're seeing in the market at this point in time. Um, so we've got a little bit of a presentation put together. Happy to run through that, and then any any questions that that may come up off the back of that. I'll pass over to you though, Alan. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it, and it's always great to see the growth of uh, of this community, Stefan. Like it's obviously been an incredible growth trajectory for your community, and uh, you know we keep an eye on all communities like this. And uh, I know there is a bit of ETF chatter, a lot of stock chat chatter, but also a lot of ETF chatter. Yeah. So um, as Blair said, I did start the business uh, with a couple of guys uh, um, about over ten years ago now. So it's actually been quite a journey. Um, we saw an opportunity in exchange traded funds uh, back then. There, there was hardly any in Australia actually at the time and uh, we ourselves had been involved in, in building out other businesses before in the financial services space, including um, the active funds management space. And we worked out that it's very damn hard to beat the market and that not only that, that the way in which people were investing was changing a lot. Now, people were looking to invest largely via the ASX and via exchange. So the ETF, which I'll talk about in more in more detail, is is an evolved way of investing. And BetaShares was launched. Uh, our first fund was launched around about ten years ago. And um, I'll, I'll chat about ETFs in a minute there, Blair. But um, in terms of BetaShares itself, you know, we ourselves are about ten years old. Uh, we're lucky enough now to have uh, sixty-five different exchange traded products now in the market. We do compete with some very large global players, but happily we're um, we've managed to build out quite a business, and we're now managing about fourteen billion dollars in assets. Uh, with many, many hundreds of thousands of investors in our products. 
So it has been a great story, uh, and we think we've done a fair bit to, to start growing out the opportunity set for Australian investors, not only to invest in uh, what are going to be known as vanilla ETFs, which we'll talk about no doubt in the future, but also some ways to actually trade and uh, and take you know take positions on on various themes, on various sectors, on various countries. And so I think our product range, as broad as it is now, allows people of all shapes and sizes to express their views based on ETFs. Um, and no doubt we'll need to talk about what ETFs are, but that's the BetaShares story. So still still owned by, by, by the founders and we have a large strategic investor, but um, we are Australian and, uh, and Blair's right. The fact that we're Australian allows us to think quite deeply about the needs of Aussie investors and that's why we've launched so many new products to the market. So it's been good and, and no, we've got a lot of direct investors as well. Like we have financial advisors as clients, but many, many, many hundreds of thousands of individual investors buying our products on the exchange. The ETF story has evolved so much. It's no longer just tracking the index of the Australian A200 or the Australian 200 top shares. It's it's morphed and grown, and I can't wait to explore it more with you guys. So we might might kick it off with just explaining what ETFs are and then and walking through a bit of a presentation. Um, of course, for everyone out there, um, if you've got any questions, you are joining us live, please feel free to ask them uh, through the chat box. It'd be great to hear your comments. Um but just want to let everyone know that everything contained in this presentation or in, in our chat today is just general advice, general information only. Um, please don't consider it as personal advice. If you're thinking about investing in ETFs and you want to know if they're right for you, please go and consult a licensed financial planner or, um, or a financial professional. So without further ado, I might bring up the slides and you can talk to us about what ETFs are. Yeah, so the best way to understand an ETF is to look at the acronym, which is Exchange Traded and Fund. So the exchange traded part, indicates that they are bought and sold on an exchange. In our case, that's the ASX. In the case of the US, that's the New York Stock Exchange. In the case of et cetera, et cetera. So exchange traded means they are bought and sold like shares. Now, why is that good? Well, you, your, your entire community buys shares, so they know why that's good, right? It's because it's easy. There's no minimum investment. You can buy and sell anytime during the trading day, no paperwork to fill out, and uh, it really is just an easier way to invest. You know, you, you, you do it there and then on your screen, or via a financial advisor and you get invested. As compared to non-exchange traded funds or traditional managed funds where you have to fill out a paperwork or use a financial advisor to, you know, to get access to it. So that's the exchange traded component. And the fund component is, is essentially saying that it is a managed fund. So the benefit of a managed fund is that it typically would have more than one thing in it. So it would be diversified. It would basically have a collection of different securities, whether those securities are shares or bonds or even gold. Um, and so that the, the benefit of that fund structure is that, first of all, it's a regulated fund. So the, the, the actual investment itself is protected by the fund structure, which means that we, the assets are held separately to the asset manager. But also it's diversified. So with one trade, you get access to a lot of things, and we'll talk about what those are. So that's what an exchange-traded fund is. And the benefits on the slide you can see there um, is, 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 is the following. But perhaps the way to really describe it most simply of all is to give an example. So I'm going to use the example of A200, Australia 200 ETF, as you mentioned, Stefan. So it's actually the lowest cost uh, exposure to the Australian share market. So in the past, prior to the advent of ETFs, if somebody was looking to invest in the Australian share market and didn't have a big view on which particular stock to buy, They'd have to buy a whole lot of shares or take a view on whether to buy CSL or BHP or CBA. With the ETF, we're essentially giving you exposure to the largest 200 stocks on the Australian Stock Exchange. What that means is you basically don't have to make that decision. And for a very low cost, and I'll tell you how low the cost is, it's seven basis points, which is 0.07% a year, which is the equivalent of $7 a year for every $10,000 invested, or you know, 70 cents for every $1,000 invested. So very, very low cost, you get access to the whole market and you buy the market as simply as buying a share. So that's the way in which most people get to understand what an ETF is, an index investment. Um, obviously, that's gone a long way beyond just the ASX 200 now. We'll talk about secular themes. We'll speak about the way to get exposure to regions and countries, um, but that's the basic. And because of the structure and what I've said there, um, there's a few things that come with buying ETFs. Number one, and probably most importantly for many, it's very low cost. Because we don't have to pick a stock Picker. You don't have to buy, pay for or give a salary to a high high profile stock picker like a Hamish Douglas or Ken Nielsen. The costs that can be passed on to the investors and they're usually much, much lower, half, more than half than, than the managed fund industry. Um, they're transparent. 
we, we tell people exactly what's in our fund every single day. You can go onto our website and see the entire, the entire constituent list, as it's called, or the entire portfolio. We've spoken about ease of access. We've spoken about liquidity because they're like shares. And we've spoken about diversification. And the other one there is tax efficiency. Because we're not doing a lot of buying and selling in the fund, it's actually at the end of the tax year, you don't typically see anything that's untoward or strange. Uh, you usually have just a pretty simple, you know, simple tax tax document there. So those are exchange traded funds. Now there's seven trillion US dollars in exchange traded funds around the world. You'd probably say they would be the fastest growing uh, investment product in the world uh, of our of our generation, the generation before. Um, so that's it's been an incredible, incredibly fast rise. In this, in the US, one out of every two investors has got an ETF. Here it's more like one in twenty. So we think that's going to change a lot. And Blair, if you just want to jump to the next slide, I'll just show you the Australian story. So this is the Australian ETF industry and its growth. So it's now setting at just over $70 billion in assets. Uh, when we started the business back in 2010, you can see there, there was less than $5 billion. So the industry is growing at around 45% a year. And you can really see the growth, particularly in the last three years on that chart. It's a small chart, but you can see the growth that's really picked up in a meaningful way. You've almost got like a vertical line there of growth in the industry over the last three years. Um, and I can tell you that the COVID scenario certainly, certainly, uh, certainly added to that growth story. So, so it's been no, a very that's crazy. Is, is, is it because you've got so many different funds getting added or is it just the exposure of the relevance of index fund investing in a portfolio do you think has just grown amongst many more investors, especially in Australia? I think that I think that the ETF industry around the world has shown this sort of chart. You can look at the ETF industry in any country, and it will, the chart will look like this. It's because, quite honestly, Stefan, it's a, it's a better way to invest. I've always thought, and I guess part of the launching of this business is that anything that's cheaper and faster and better ultimately does better in the world, right? So Amazon <laughs> is cheaper, yeah. faster, better way to shop. Netflix yeah. is a cheaper, faster, better way to watch movies or, or TV shows. Um, the MP3 or, or, or Spotify is a better, cheaper, faster, and better way to get access to music. ETFs is a cheaper, we've spoken about why, faster because you can do it anytime you want and better way to invest. And so we'll just, we'll see this play out in every single industry around the world. Um, there has been more products launched in answer to your question, but that's by no means the reason behind this growth. It's just really because of more investors and more advisors using these products. Yeah. I agree. 100%. No, that's uh, it's great, man. I, can, I know a lot of people that turn to me going, um, I, had a, I had a chat with Blair on my podcast not long ago and the amount of questions I got on ETFs and there's still so much confusion around what it is. So um, that's why I think this presentation is going to be amazing. So keep on keep on pressing on through, Alan. Yeah, cool. So look, that's I mean, that's, that's the ETF industry. Uh, as I've mentioned, we have 65 of them now. So there's about 250 of which we have 65. So that's the broadest range. Um, so, look, I think the first thing you asked me to talk about was just our views at the moment on the economy and the markets. So if, that, if you want to, I can give you a little bit of a background on that. I mean, that's, everyone has their own view on that, but probably good to just at least set the scene with a little bit of a view on, on, on the economy and the markets. Would that make sense, Stefan? Go for it. I love it. Great. Well, you can, you can, you can drop the screen share there. And um, look, I think, I think you know, our view on the, on, the, on the economy, again, everyone has their own view, and I know that the, your, your, your listeners, readers, viewers, are uh, uh, our stock investors, so they all have their view. But I think our view as a firm is that while we're not out of the woods quite yet, um, it does seem like the global economy is continuing to recover after COVID, right? And that's because A, social distancing restrictions are starting to ease, but probably more so, and, and probably the thing that I personally keep my eye on a lot, and I know a lot of people in our firm does, is while there's definitely second waves of COVID, and those second waves are pretty significant, in terms of number of cases, what we're not seeing is the death rates rising. And um, that's the thing that governments are going to be looking at in terms of uh, imposing lockdowns, with the exception of Melbourne, uh, and hopefully that will change very soon. But the governments have got their eye on the death rate. So because we're getting, I guess, more younger people exposed to this disease at the moment, and because we're seeing the death rates keep low, that gives us, at this point, optimism around the global economy. You know, if that changes, we'll have to change our, our view entirely. So we're cautiously optimistic on that in terms of the, you know, the death rate and therefore the, the less, the lower likelihood of severe economic lockdowns. Because severe economic lockdowns will not be good for companies, will not be good for people, and will not be good for the share market. Um, the other thing as well that we've seen that we nobody had understood except for many, probably many of your viewers, 
is just how hard the governments were going to go and try to provide stimulus and incentives to, to people in the economy. That's been unprecedented. It's a terrible word to use because it's been used unprecedented number of times. But um, it really, really is. It really is crazy to see the reaction from, from, from local governments around the world. That is another area that gives us optimism. It just feels that no matter what happens, they'll throw money at it. And you'd say, well, that's a problem because, the, you know, the economies are becoming indebted. But there's such low interest rates that becoming indebted is not not a such a bad thing at the moment, right? So, so the view is that that's the economy piece. I think the equity markets, you saw that, which is obviously the focus I know of, of, of all, of all, of, of all your, your channel here. The equity markets, we saw the bottom very quickly in March with a stupendous rise. And, um, you know, the global contraction period was pretty brief there. So, so the valuations are certainly high in markets right now. But in our view, what are, what are your options in terms of investing? With interest rates as low as they are and expenses remain low, equities are one of the only options. Um, you know, and in that regard, we have a view that equities will continue to grow. I mean, subject to the things I mentioned before around COVID. Um, if you look, so, at, yeah. um, look at even so the ETF space and the index fund space, the Australian the Australian index has has gone okay. Um, probably the small cap index in Australia has been a real winner, and that's a real big talking point about, amongst um, our guests and what's been happening of those those mid tier companies and a lot of those tech stocks that are the smaller companies really been able to grub, blow up their valuation. But even looking yeah. at the S and P five hundred over in the US, um, being able to go from strength to strength, and even with political turmoil going on over there. Um, I guess the big tech stocks over there are driving up their index as well. Um, so you're right, yeah. valuations in times of um, falling profitability, it's, it's it's pretty crazy to see what's going on around the world. But you're That's right. That's right. What options you know, do we have? Exactly. What options do you have? And like, I know it's not something that people look at a lot outside of sort of our general industry, but interest rates are pretty key. You know, and the fact that interest rates are, start, are sort of going to remain so low and, and everyone's pretty much, including our Aussie government, pretty much promising not to raise them for many years. It should make it should keep bonds, you know, got bond yields as we call them, or bond rates very, very low. And again, with that happens, equities are the only alternative. So, just talking about what you just mentioned there and picking up on that, Stefan, is that um, as we think about that, so that's our overall view of the market. But as we think about where to position exposures right now, um, you are hitting on something that we agree with, which is the the growth and the continued growth of technology. So, technology stocks are are definitely very, very well valued right now. But ultimately, if you think about which companies are going to go well in this period and beyond, it'd be very hard not to have those names in your portfolio. So those and very high quality companies, which may not be in technology, are where we um, are thinking about and talking a lot about positioning portfolios. So that means from our perspective, uh, we would have a, a more optimistic view, a more positive view on global shares and US shares than we do Australian shares. And I think it's really important for your viewers to know that it's very good to talk about all the small cap stocks that have done brilliantly, Afterpay and the Zip Money and Sezzle and all the other ones that I mentioned probably multiple times a, a second, let alone a day on your group. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but it's important to understand that's all well and good. But in terms of positioning your portfolio for future growth, with technology names as small as they are in Australia, I think the US market and global equity markets is pretty interesting. And so for us, our main areas of interest right now and what we're seeing a lot of interest in from, um, from our clients is in global equities exposures, technology oriented in particular, and also Asia. And even better, Asia and technology mixed together. So, so that's, that's a bit of a holistic view, Blair. Didn't know, didn't know if you wanted to add anything to that before we go into the ETF side of things. No, I mean, you're spot on. Technology is a major focus of us, as you said, at the moment. I think you've hit the nail on the head with Asia. I think if we look at traditional emerging markets and those brick economies, what we're offering with Asia is a step away from those resource intensive economies and into where you want to be in emerging markets, which is IT. Um, mm. and, and certainly from my point of view, that, that represents a, a really interesting trade into uh, emerging technology. Yeah. And even, even looking at manufacturing numbers over in China um, are now back at higher levels than they were pre-COVID. Um, and they're wondering where all this manufacturing is going, but their economy seems to be driving, um, and a lot of Asian economies around it because they're they're used to these these global these health concerns, 
they just keep driving their economy. So hopefully, yeah, you're right. Asia is going to be a really interesting one to watch. I agree. And yeah. Interesting, Stefan. I mean, we, we look at technology and we, we probably have a tendency to think about gadgets, iPhones and things like this. But but really, technology is about improving different industries and, and, and making the way our lives or with the way we live our lives easier. And I think once you, you buy into that thematic, it becomes pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah 100%. So Guys, let's talk. Let's talk about some ETFs you've got. Yeah, that's right. So look, we've got we've got sixty five. We've got sixty five. So I'm not planning on you know talking about them all. Um, I am talking planning on talking about ones that I think would be useful and interesting to your audience. Um, now I know that your audience is 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 heavily invested in small cap and mid cap Aussie names, and um, that's great because that's a way to to sort of pick a stock that you think is going to be a winner, and um, it's a great thing to do. But I do think it's pretty important for people to balance out their portfolios with some core stuff that you can hold for a little, little bit longer, feel a little bit safer, safer about, you know, relative to the volatility that comes from, the incredible volatility that comes from, you know, from some of those tech names. I mean, looking at, you know, the volatility we saw in Afterpay, I mean, obviously it's over $100 now, but man, it was at $850. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, you know it, 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 can, it can rise as fast as it can fall, basically. Um, now, so what I'm going to talk about really is some stuff that um, we're hearing um, a lot of direct investors interested in. And, um, and also note that these can be used as trading opportunities as well as, you know, as well as non-trading opportunities that can be used to buy and hold or that can be used to trade. So look, the first is, is a very, very popular fund. It's our second largest fund and it's the BetaShares NASDAQ 100 ETF, which has got the code NDQ. Uh, that's just a, um, Real life picture of uh, of Nasdaq congratulating the fund from getting to you know from getting to a billion dollars in assets. It's about 1.2 billion dollars in size now. By number of investors, definitely by the most popular in our in our range by a long long way. Um, it says what it is. It it invests in the largest 100 stocks on the Nasdaq stock exchange. And as you'd know, those are Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Tesla, Netflix, and, and more. So uh, a way to get exposure to those tech giants that uh, to be honest, pretty annoying to access here in Australia in a single trade. As, as Blair has mentioned, it's um, Aussie domiciled fund, which means you don't have to worry about any tax forms or anything like that. You buy the fund and you get access to the NASDAQ. And that has been, um, well, a phenomenal, phenomenal investment for anyone who's been in that for the long term. So the next page just shows the, um, you know, just, just shows the, the, that return, right? So this particular slide here shows you the NASDAQ 100 for many, many years, 12 years versus the two benchmark indices. One, the ASX 200, which is Australian shares index, and the other, which is the all worlds, essentially like a global share market index. And look, it's, you know, it's chalk and cheese, basically. I mean, you can see there's just nothing like it. So um, I, I think, you know, these days we're seeing more and more investors treat this as a core exposure, but obviously you can trade it if you've got a view on, you know, if you've got a view on this, on the US technology scene. But if you just think about the companies that are part of this, it's going to be hard to argue they're not going they're not going any direction other than than up. Is Google going to be a big company today than it is that in ten years time than it is today? Hard to say not. Amazon, I mean, talk about the most incredible incredible business. Um, Apple, no matter what happens, they seem to keep on going. And Microsoft as well, a huge turnaround um, in their business over the last ten years to become a cloud based business, as, 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 amongst others, including Tesla, which has of course been. Is now one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable, car company in the world. So, so that that was one that we had to mention just because it's yeah. so well so well um, supported, and obviously the, the the performance has been excellent for that. So it's and actually up about. I think, I think what's really what's really interesting to talk about when you talk about index funds and like the and the Nasdaq hundred is that if you were investing into the top one hundred companies in the US twenty years ago, back in the year two thousand, the names in the top ten would have been completely different. You would have seen yeah, that, big oil companies up there still being some of the big drivers. Um, but now, as these companies get larger and larger, they take up a higher and higher proportion of the index. And I don't know if you can talk to this, but am I right in saying that the top five tech companies in the US now take up about 25% of the of the US index? I think you got it. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So this this this, this fund's up 30% year to date to, to the end, to basically from January through to today. It's up thirty percent a year. It's about forty percent off its off its lows in 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 March, um, and it's got some names that are high quality businesses with real earnings and 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 sort of real. I mean, obviously, basically investing how you live because all of us would have used today 
at least four to five, maybe three to four names on that screen right now. I'm pretty confident mm. that anyone watching this has used Google. By definition, we're using Facebook. Uh, there's a good chance Apple's been used by at least 60% of the people listening, and they may well Microsoft. have. Very we're going off to LinkedIn. Microsoft. We're yeah. going off to LinkedIn. Microsoft on LinkedIn. Yeah. So uh, anyway. that's, that's a key point you bring up, Alan. Uh, you talk about the companies in the NASDAQ 100, and, and clearly they're you know domiciled for the most part in the US, but really their revenue streams are truly worldwide. And, and therefore, I think you're, you're getting those benefits of ETFs in the form of diversification and, um, and you know, access to 100 companies that are generating revenue from every country in the world. Exactly. So that was the first one. Um, I'll move on, if you like, to the second one, um, which is actually, well, this page here just shows some of our technology products, which have been very, very popular. Um, ATEC is, is something that many of your investors would have constituents of because it's the S&P ASX All Technology Index that we track for that one. So that's the biggest holdings is Afterpay and, and Wise Tech and Car Sales. So I know many of, your, many of your listeners will own those directly. Just to say, if you did want to just buy one share that gives you one ETF that gives you exposure to all of them and be a little bit more diversified, that's available to you. Um, NASDAQ 100 we've spoken about. I'm not going to talk too much about robotics and artificial intelligence, but I could talk about it for the whole session. I mean, again, an incredibly, incredibly amazing, fast-growing secular growth theme. You know, the, the theme of robotics and artificial intelligence. And, and, and I, but what I will talk about is the Asia Fund and the Global Cybersecurity Fund. I think with our technology sector series, which has been incredibly well supported since the launch of them and, 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 and this year, what we try to do there uh, is either give you that sort of broad core exposures like NASDAQ 100 um, or the Australian technology, or allow people to invest in areas that are otherwise difficult to invest in and provide you access to what we call a secular growth theme. And a secular growth theme is, is a theme that is underpinned by fundamentals. It's not a flash in the pan. It's something that has structural underpinnings. And so uh, robotics and artificial is one of them. I mean, artificial intelligence and robotics will continue to rise by definition as the cost of labor continues to be squeezed, et cetera, et cetera. So I won't talk about that in any detail. Um, what I'm going to talk about is the Asia technology targets and cybersecurity. So I'll start with the Asia technology targets, Blair, if you just want to jump to the next page there. So um, the, the ASX ticket for that is Asia, which is an easy one to remember. And it gives you exposure to the 50 largest Asian technology companies exporting Japan. So, so a lot of Chinese exposure, but not only, it also includes Korean exposure, et cetera. So the single trade, you're getting exposure to technology tigers. Now, we can talk about Asia and the reason why it's been you know, relatively well positioned during this COVID environment. You know, it's, it really has coped a lot better with COVID than, it, than Europe and the US. Not, not really Australia. Australia has been singularly amazing and New Zealand, but, but Asia has been number one in and of, its, in and of itself has, has had lower infection rates and, and have been better at dealing with it. Um, but the real interest there is the technology space in Asia. So the technology space in Asia now is uh, home to some of the companies you see on the screen there, which are, you could read biographies on all the founders of these or, or, or Harvard business case studies about each of these. In every case, they are some of the most amazing companies in the world. I mean, Alibaba is now the world's largest retailer. It's actually, you can see some of the numbers on there. You know, it's a massive business. It's, you know, it's got more, it's got more sales than Amazon, Walmart, and eBay combined. Uh, it, 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 it basically controls retail in Asia. Tencent, incredibly interested internet company, internet-related business, owning, amongst other things, a number of huge gaming gaming businesses, including a stake in Epic Games, which owns Fortnite, which, again, many of your listeners will be familiar with. Uh, but also amazingly popular sort of infrastructure such as uh, WeChat, which is used as WhatsApp is used in, in Australia by, by virtually everybody. Um, we pay, you know, you can pay through that thing, qq.com. So it's, it's, a, it's an amazing social media business in China. Um, you can see some of the numbers up, so it's ridiculous numbers, 45 billion messages sent a day via WeChat. These numbers are, are stupendous. Baidu, shorthand, the Google of, the Google of, of China. Um, JD.com, shorthand, Amazon of China. So these kind of companies you get exposure to, they've all had incredible runs. In fact, the Asia ETF is the best performing ETF on the ASX this entire year so far. So it's up here, let me see here, 45%. It's up 45% for the year. Hold on, Got Alain, so you told me before that the NASDAQ returned 30% since January, but 
but the yep. Asia fund has returned 45% since January. That's right. It's crazy right. numbers. Yeah, this has been an incredible, incredible rise of growth. It's got about $330 million in assets in that fund. And um, yeah, we just think that it's, it's very well positioned for future growth. I mean, Blair knows this fund well. You may have some other comments to make on it. No, I think you've hit the nail on the head again, Alan. Um, very exciting fund. Really good um, opportunity where, where I mean, it, it, traditionally it's been difficult to access Asian equities. And I think uh, this fund gives you a really well diversified portfolio into not just China, but South Korea, uh, Taiwan, a little bit of India, a little bit of Thailand as well. Yeah. So, so the there's something like a Samsung falling to, into this? Yeah. Or is, yeah. Yep. Yep. Thought so. Okay. Yeah, Samsung's in there, and there's a huge semiconductor, by far the largest semiconductor company in the world, which is called Taiwan Semiconductor, TMSC. Um, it's by far the largest semiconductor company in the world. And again, like if those of you understand semiconductors, it's powering a lot of the global economy now. So yeah, the next page is just just the performance, uh, long-term performance of that fund. Oh, no, it's not. It's actually talking about the um, just the reason behind investing in this fund, which if it isn't evident, it's just essentially a, a play on the growth of, of technology in Asia. So this particular slide is just showing how internet users have grown in China versus the USA. And um, it's truly, truly a ridiculous, ridiculous growth there. And uh, but I think the next page is, is you know, is, is the performance, um, the performance of, of that of that particular index that we track against the world. Um, you know, it's a bit, a bit of a chalk and cheese sort of uh, sort of chart that one. So so that one's got a lot of interest from a lot of people. Um, and then I was going to talk about about cybersecurity. Um, I was going to talk about cybersecurity because I think to me, uh, and this is a personal view, I believe it's probably the most secular, the biggest secular growth theme of all in technology. I, I kind of view it as, as as the foundations of a house or the plumbing of a house, and um, where the, where the house is the te is a technology business or, or a company, and cybersecurity is more and more becoming the foundations where you might have to occasionally you know. Go 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 spend a bit more on those foundations, but ultimately you need them there to to build the house. And I think cybersecurity now is not not only just the thing that companies need to sort of pay passing attention to; they need to pay massive attention to it. And so the question you have to ask yourself when thinking about this fund is 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 the cybersecurity are the companies in cybersecurity going to grow between now and whenever your investment horizon is? Is cybersecurity going to be a growing industry? And I think many would say that it is, and again, very hard to get exposure to the cybersecurity companies that we we access here. So this one is called Hack. It gives you exposure to the largest uh, global cybersecurity companies. They are, in most cases, pure play cybersecurity companies who essentially derive virtually all of their revenue from from selling cybersecurity products, which is uh, forecast to be a trillion dollar industry um, over the coming years. Um, so the next page, that just shows you sort of how, how, how things made up, but the next page talks about the reason for it. It's just because data is, is um, you know, it's just becoming more and more prevalent in our world. So in every minute in the internet, the page before will show you what happens and it's just basically just a whole lot of things happen. You know, trillions and trillions of people send, uh, millions, billions of people send messages. You know, you can see this is so-called um, every minute of the internet, 2020. You know, just some ridiculous, ridiculous figures there. What happens in a minute, right? So, you know, you can look at it, look at it yourself there. But just in every case, Zoom, Amazon, you, 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 you know, Facebook, Tinder, you know, all this sort of things is 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 using data that people want to protect. They don't want, you know, you don't want to have your data compromised. And as COVID has 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 come about, it's become even more data intensive. And if you believe that data is going to continue to grow in the way that it does on this page then 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 you know that needs to be protected by cybersecurity companies and so the companies that are in there which you know on the next page are 40 or so of the largest cybersecurity companies in the world and uh, these are some of them so names that your listeners may under know cisco and symantec and that's possibly a bit more straightforward but very likely they wouldn't know fireeye cyberarc uh you know x nxp juniper these are companies that are Usually off the off the radar of many investors, but still are leading the charge in terms of cybersecurity. So, another exciting fund that um, that is up about 22% this year, um, and in our view, is sort of a very obvious theme. Over to Blair for any further comments on Hack. Yeah, look, I think if, if we break down that secular trend you talk about, Alan, I think it's very easy to to focus on the financial risk of of being hacked, but 
I see it playing out in, in, in three different ways, really. You've got the individual, um, so identity theft, things like that you need to protect yourself from. Obviously, businesses where, yes, financial risk happens, IP can be stolen. And then government, where, where health data can be stolen. Again, financial data can be stolen. So you can see pretty quickly um, it's a pretty uh, impressive way to be able to plug into a, a really strong growth thematic um, that, that all facets of society are going to need to use uh, going forward. So I, I think as well to speak to the breakdown of the fund, obviously it's heavily invested in North America, but you do get some exposure to more nascent and emerging uh, technology hubs, so to speak, in Israel and France uh, with some of the companies listed there. Yeah, so that, that's been a good one. And um, I suppose the final one, I didn't want to only talk about things that have done well this year. Um, I wanted to talk about things that have been smashed to pieces this year because I know that a lot of your investors are looking to buy value. And so it doesn't get talked about a lot, but but um, we have seen significant interest in, in, in a number of our sector ETFs, which are, you know, those funds I just mentioned before are more like thematic ETFs. This is now an actual sector of the economy, which in this case is the global energy companies sector. So this fund, I've spoken about how well um, Asia has done. It's up 45% for the year. I'll tell you with a straight face that fuel is down 43% for the year. Um, but I did want to talk about a, a fund that people might look to for playing a recovery. And given the way in which these companies that are part of this particular index, and I'll just describe the index, it's called Fuel. Um, as it sounds, it is the largest global energy companies. There's about 40 of them in this index, the largest global energy companies. Big names that people would know, Chevron, uh, Royal Dutch Shell, um, Total, you know, Exxon, that, that are, um, have been smashed as, as, as energy usage and, and, and oil usage has come down over time due to COVID. But... If there's a view out there that there might be a recovery on the horizon, these will be a very leveraged way to, to get exposure to that recovery because at the end of the day, they're strong companies with huge ec um, economic moats around them, in many cases leading you know, their various marketplaces. So I did want to put one out there that had not didn't have a beautiful chart. I actually haven't shown the chart because it's too embarrassing. It just goes <laughs> but, but But again, I know that your, 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 your investors on this group may be interested in relative value. And what are you what are you doing when you're buying this fund? You're taking a view on 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 the recovery. You're also taking a view on some companies that are not loved because of the ESG growth. And we talk a lot about ESG. We've got the one of the biggest ESG ranges in the country of a, a close to two billion dollars invested in ESG funds, which are, we're very, very proud of. But as a result of all that all that all that uh, all that move, you know, these companies are unloved and unwatched. And I think um, for many people who are taking a contrarian view, that could potentially be something pretty, you know, pretty interesting for, for them to have a look at. So that was the other one I wanted to mention as a contrarian play, um, given how on board they have been. So, yeah, that was those are the four ideas I had, you know, for your group. Um, Blair, anything on Phil that you wanted to add? No, that's that's uh, spot on. Yeah. So, so those are the four things. You have to bring a few ideas and those are our four ideas. Um, but obviously open to any questions or, or anything else that, that that's come up in the in the conversation so far. So look, looking at fuel, it's obviously very, um, obviously secular, so you, so you set to focus, but it's cyclical, um, very much energy plays and things like that, iron ore, very, very cyclical as well. So it's, it's interesting. Um, if we talk back about, bringing it back to Australian equities um, and, ta and taxes, so tax efficiencies of um, investing into ETFs, I always get questions around franking credits. So obviously, in Australian equities, um, when you get paid a dividend, the franking credit gets passed on to you. Um, there's a lot of confusion around whether or not when you own an ETF, does the franking get it, credit get passed to you? I know the answer, um, but I'd love it if one of you could sort of step in and, and provide that answer to our guests. I'll let Blair do that. Yeah, well, the answer is absolutely yes. So we, we will pass on the, the franking credits as, uh, as it would look like if you were investing in the top 200 stocks. For a, yeah. for an ASX 200 example. Yeah, and for those of you that don't know what a franking credit is out there, it's essentially the company pays the tax before you get it, therefore you can claim that back and it goes against your tax return. So so nice and simple. Um, since over the last four or five years, how many new products have been added to the beta shares list, Blair? Ooh. That's a good you know? question. I think I've been on board all <laughs> and I, I think it would be up close to 20, Alain, if not more. Yeah. No, it'll be more than that, Blair. I think I think if, if you're talking about four or five years, 
I mean, the last two years it'll be closer to twenty. I think four or five years it's probably good. It's got to be a good, a good, good thirty-five or, or so. We've got yeah. maybe forty, maybe forty. It's been very fast. Five. I mean, um, you know, with ten years of track record, the first three years are sort of your setup period, I suppose. You're just starting to get known in the marketplace. Started really growing, going quite hard on product development, probably from year four onwards. And that's why, if you ask me, the last four or five years, it's probably in the number of forty or so. Um, and uh, just, yeah, very diverse now. I think we've obviously spoken a lot about shares because I know that's the focus of your group. But, I mean, it's fair to say we've also got stuff that gives you exposure to gold, oil. Uh, we've got stuff that goes up when the market goes down, which has been heavily spoken about amongst various uh, social media forums, BBOZ, BBOS, very well, well-traded funds now. Um, you know, so we looked at that space. The ESG space was, you know, was a really interesting thing we've done, as I mentioned, in the last few years. This, the technology suite build out has been in the last four to five years as well. So, and, and a big range of bond funds as well, which, you know, I know may not be that relevant to your group, but for, for people who are looking to build portfolios, um, you know, who are actually trying to build more of a balanced portfolio, those bond funds have been also massive. So, the, so yeah. The bond funds are quite interesting because we do get a lot of people in the group who might have cash sitting there and hence they join a group to learn about, learn about stock picking because they want to get more out of their cash and they might look to find equities that might pay dividends. Um, but for those out there who want a cash-like, bit of bet, bit better than cash-like return or investing into more secure products such as bonds, um, what sort of options do they have out there? Yeah, so uh, we have a cash ETF first and foremost. So if they just want to continue to remain invested in cash, um, which you know we think pays you know, a pretty good rate given the current environment. But of course, that's still very, very low. Uh, so mm -hmm. you're not going to get you know not going to get rich of it. But if you just if you just want to be invested in cash and you don't have a good rate, like perhaps you're getting almost nothing from the bank, this at least gives you a little bit. Um, but again, I'll just say, just given where the interest rates are and are likely to be after Melbourne Cup Day, you know, those are going to be those are going to be very, very low. So look, that's about 65.65% a year. So no, nothing to nothing to sort of get particularly excited about, but obviously makes sense within the portfolio. I think the way that we think about it is you've got to basically start going up the risk spectrum from there. And again, this is all less risky than shares. So um, the most risky non-share exposure that we have is is um, is hybrids, which you know some of your investors wouldn't know. Is it basically is, it's got it shares characteristics of shares and bonds. So the interest rates on those float with the um, the interest rates in Australia. But but those the, the, that is a fund called HBRD and um, it's it's managed by by a fund manager who's very expert in this particular field and. Um, it will have much more, we call it risk, or we call it volatility, which is another word for risk. It will have much more volatility than, um, you know, than, 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 than bonds, but are quite a bit less than shares, maybe half that of shares. So that is, that's probably paying you right now, before franken credits, 2.5% or so a year. So again, that's significantly more than the 65% I just mentioned. So that that's one way to you know to get exposure. Um, but but there will be some you would expect some volatility in that. Um, and then you just keep on going down the list. So then you go into uh, things like credit uh, exposure. So in other words, these are borrowings of bonds that have been created by uh, bonds that have been created by um, by companies, and they are co corporates. That's what we call a corporate or credit bonds. And um, that will give you, you know, again, a lower exposure, a lower yield than what I just said, but perhaps a little bit of a lower risk as well, um, all the way through to ultra safe things like Australian government bonds, and uh, which is AGVT. The fund I mentioned before is called CRED, by the way, C-R-E-D. Yeah, um, yeah the, the AGVT fund is Australian government bonds, and uh, the government, the global government bond fund we have is GGOV. Um, so we've got a big range. And in fact, we've also got a range of, of fund that's actually just all bonds in one place, which is called BNDS. In case somebody just wants a bit of a set and forget bond exposure, it's managed by a really high quality, world-class you know, bond manager, and it gives you exposure to the, the whole bond the whole bond scene actively managed, um, which is, might, might be a way to just get exposure to a set and forget sort of bond, bond product. Yeah. Um, what a lot of people out there don't realize is that this, this bond sector, it's so, it is so complex and there's so many options. Um, yeah. It's not like just putting money in the term deposit. There's so many different risk characteristics that come into it and therefore income characteristics that come about it as well. Um, you talked totally. a lot about secular, secular uh, being sector focused and new, establishing new ETFs um, based on trends. Um, what about the, the health industry or eye health industry? You see yeah, much all in this space? We are, and uh, I'm going to ask Blair to discuss one of our funds uh, uh, called uh, the British Shares Global Healthcare ETF. Um, over to you, Blair. 
Yeah, Alan. So the ticket code for that is drug D R U G. So uh, some some interesting or good marketing there with respect to the ticker. But uh, really focuses on I guess global ex Australia large pharmaceutical companies. Um, and I think if, if if you talk to trends, given obviously global aging demographics, that's that's going to over the long term become a really important thematic. Um, but then if you talk to the short term with respect to the COVID concerns. The search for a vaccine and and the flow of money into pharmaceutical companies again a really good way to play that thematic yeah i mean i think it's actually a good one and i was actually i had it on my mind to talk about it but i didn't know what sort of time restrictions we'd have i think again you as an investor can go and if you believe that one of the large global healthcare companies is ultimately going to sort of work out how to do a vaccine on COVID, you're gonna have a pretty hard time working out which one it is, right? We're talking about Johnson & Johnson. Is it gonna be Glaxo? Is it gonna be Roche? Is it gonna be Novartis? Is it gonna be Pfizer? Um, is it gonna be Merck? So so again, I think if you believe that, I mean, apart from the fact that healthcare is a definite secular, secular growth, like aging population, more people spending money on healthcare, if you wanna have a view on a vaccine piece, Good luck trying to work out which one it is. I mean, nobody knows. And so there, again, you buy the drug ETF and you get exposure to hopefully one of those big names will be the one to nail it. And, uh, and then you'll sort of, sort of benefit from the upside there. Beautiful. Um, so probably one last question before we let you go. Um, I get a lot of people come to me and working out how to use debt to invest. So typically, if you look at Australians that buy property, um, they go to a bank, they ask a bank for money and they use a little bit of their own cash. Um, where they might put in 20% of their own cash and borrow 80% from the bank. And therefore, they ride the growth of that property up and they benefit from the growth. In terms of when it comes to investing into stocks, you can do the same things, um, but people might not have access to that cheap debt from a bank and you don't want to go and borrow, borrow, borrow money at 12% as a personal loan. Um, what options are there out there for index investors to actually use borrowed funds to invest to try and get that extra growth if they're a believer? Yeah, I'm personally passionate about this for young investors. I think that too many people think that the only way to make money in Australia is via property. And if you think about why property investors in Australia have done so well, number one, the asset class has done pretty well. But equally, if not more importantly, is the fact that they are forced essentially to gear at 80% and to regularly repay, regularly repay or, or, or service that debt. If you essentially use that approach to any asset class that's on a growth asset class, you will do it just about as well. So gearing makes a huge amount of sense as long as you understand it and are, are, are sort of happy to take the risk that comes from it, and there is significant risk. Gearing, in our view, makes a lot of sense for a young investor. And recognizing that we have launched some time ago now internally geared um, funds, uh, the most popular of which is called GEAR, uh, G-E-A-R. And uh, we've got one over the US market called GGUS. Now, that essentially is internally geared. So you don't have to, have to go to the bank and get any money to, you know, get any money to, to, to borrow. We've done that for you. But better than that, we've done that at the lowest possible rate available to anybody. So our, our, um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't disclose the rates every day, but our annual report last year would have shown a, a gearing rate of, of sort of circa 80 basis points or 0.8% um you, you, you know for, for some of the stuff we're talking about virtually free free gearing that's done on the, on your behalf by by beta shares um and it basically gives you exposure to an index of the asx 200 geared between 2 to 2.75 percent of the time i will say again these will be very volatile instruments you do need to be able to ride the ups and the downs you need to be comfortable with debt or at least with magnified returns or leverage. Um, but uh, with time on your side and with regular uh, regular reinvestment into something that's geared, um, number one, you, you do benefit from the, from, the, from the benefits of gearing. Uh, you benefit from the extraordinarily low rate that we've managed to negotiate on, on your behalf. And because you've essentially got more than two times exposure, you get essentially double the franking credits and, and, and also double the dividends, you know, although, of course, those dividends will, you know, will be reduced by the fees we charge. But so, so you know, um, it, is, it is a pretty supercharged way. Again, I'll repeat, for somebody with a long time horizon, it's a pretty supercharged way to consider getting exposure to the market. So, you know, on a, gear, on, a, on, a, on a franking credit basis at the moment, that fund would be paying around about a 10% yield. 
and on a non-franc basis, it will be paying around about a 7% yield, um, which you know, for long-term investors shouldn't matter, but they should be considering just sweeping that back in via a di distribution reinvestment plan, the equivalent of a DRP for, for share investors. Um, and and I, I, I don't know, I, I think it's a very interesting way to go, um, as long as you're willing for, you know, willing to take take very, very big drawdowns. And it can, it can really get, you know, during COVID, it, you know, it, 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 it had a real hit, it had a real hit. But yeah. lo and behold, that, that's it. over time, yeah. Risk, risk uh, debt is risky. Um, 100%. And I guess if anyone is going to use debt to invest, don't have a short time frame in your mind. Be there for the long term um, and make sure you ride out those waves. So Blair and Alan, look, thank you so much for that. I'm going to probably end it there. Um, it's been really insightful. I'm sure a lot of people on the show or who watch it, who will watch it after uh, will be able to um, get some great insights and to add it to their portfolio. Um, we won't take any more questions just yet. Um, Guys, um, in terms of if people want to invest into a, a beta shares, how do they how do they go about it, Blair? Well, at the moment, it's the same as buying a share. So you just go and there find go. the um, go and find the um, the ticker drug. Yep. Hat, gear, whatever we're talking about, Asia, and buy it like a share. And I know that given that you are ASX stocks tips, you guys know how to do that. So yeah. And can I just say before we go, uh, definitely encourage people to jump onto the website. There's plenty of uh, sector-specific information or ETF-specific information with respect to the funds we've discussed today, but obviously all 60-odd other of our funds, um, and that's a really good starting point. And then head to your broker and um, and trade. Beautiful, Blair. Blair, Alarm, thanks so much. Just quickly before we do sign off, guys, um, so we're brought to you today by McDonald Legal, Daniel McDonald, who's normally here, um, well-rounded uh, legal practice based in Melbourne, anything uh, general law, uh, family law, but also setting up self-managed super funds. Um, and of course, Angel Advisory, which is my business. Um, we essentially help people set up well-rounded investment portfolios, whether it's their superannuation or their personal funds. So if you ever get over of trying to trade and and you can't take the, the hair loss and the stress that comes about it, um, we try to set up a, a very tailored investment portfolio. And I'm glad to know that beta shares have been um, good um, good assistance for our, our clients in the past. So guys, um, thank you so much for your time again. I really appreciate it. For everyone that listened out there, thanks so much. Um, today's Sex Stock Tips group. Hopefully we get plenty more rockets in the future. All right, guys, I'll end it there. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Stefan. Bye. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Investor Types podcast. What I want to remind you is that everything you heard in this podcast is general advice only. Please don't consider it as personal advice. If you do want to consider it as being personal advice, please go and speak to your licensed financial planner. Everything here is just informational purposes only. Take it as you will. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon.